Well, good evening, everyone. Go ahead and get a head start. Turn to Haggai chapter 1. You know that uh, wonderful, the matchless grace of Jesus. Uh, Lauren's really the only person in here that can hit that note at the end. And I noticed she wasn't hitting it, so she must be saving her voice here. So we're going to get something special Christmas time. Uh, we have Thanksgiving coming up. We've already started celebrating Thanksgiving. We had our uh, dinner with the Aaron side of the family on Saturday. And you know what next Lord's Day means? Uh, after Thanksgiving, uh, we can start singing Christmas songs. So look forward to that. <clears throat> Bill Loudon was supposed to be here uh, to, to be with us, and it's a shame he isn't here because then I'd be with you all and in, under his ministry. I've never heard him speak, and I was uh, looking forward to it. But anyway, uh, the Lord has sought fit that I would be up here. So we're going to pick up where we laugh, left off uh, in Haggai. Uh, the people had gotten this message from the Lord. Uh, we remember that they have come back from captivity, about 50,000 people, and they were very zealous and very um, motivated to get back to building the temple and doing the things of the Lord. And all of a sudden, um, opposition came and they stopped building. And 15 years went by and they worked on their own things, did their own things, and focused on themselves, uh, even though they kept sacrifices and things like that going. But we see that they focused on themselves, and the Lord has this uh, message for them in verse 7 of chapter 1. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways, go up to the mountains, and bring wood, and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land, and the mountains on the grain, and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and all the labor of your hands. So the Lord's asking them to consider everything that's taken place since they got back and they stopped the building. Um, in their own minds, they said, it's not time yet to build the house of the Lord. It's not time to do the Lord's work. Uh, it's time for us to take care of ourselves. We're back in this land. We have to build homes. We have to uh, establish a lifestyle and uh, grow food and be able to eat. And for 15 years, they were doing all these things, and he tells them to consider the works of their hands, everything that they had tried to accomplish on their own. And as they're considering these things, they realize everything that they did really amounted to nothing. They didn't have anything to show for themselves being back in the land this long. The temple was still in the state it was when they first got there. And there was a very solemn feeling to the people. But God was sending this message really to show their wrongs, but to encourage them to get back to the work that he was with them. And we have here in verse 12, we have then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month, 
in the second year of King Darius. Uh, so we have recorded here when this took place. Uh, Haggai's initial message came on the first day of the sixth month. We have here the 24th day of the sixth month, them getting back to the work. Uh, and the Lord encourages them, I am with you. All this discouragement, all these things you've gone away from, the fact that you have neglected uh, the work that I've asked you to do, he says, get back to work, I'm with you. And we see that the Lord stirs up their spirit. Um, you know, as, as much preaching as someone does from the pulpit, as much uh, reading you do at home, the spirit of the living God is the one that stirs us up. And the spirit of the living God stirs us in the right direction, that we would do what the Lord himself wants to accomplish. Um, they knew what the Lord wanted them to do, and they were just neglecting it. And I'm of the opinion in our own lives, we know what the Lord has asked us to do, and oftentimes we're simply neglecting it. Uh, this is a reminder to the people, and it is a reminder to us of the work that the Lord has given to us. So we have the Lord stirring these people up. They get back to work, and everyone's involved, from the governor, the, the civil leader, to uh, the high priest, uh, the religious leader, to all the people. This is, this is one mind. We're back, you know, 15 years ago. This is what happened. It's happening again now. And they all get in and get back to the work. So no more opposition, right? No more difficulties. Everything's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. Uh, that's kind of the mindset that we tend to have. Um, but that's not the case. We see that immediately there's issues. But we see that they uh, per per persevere through them. So these are the messages that Haggai gives in the sixth month. And we're going to have all these messages dated here. So in chapter 2, we're going to get another message. And it says, in the seventh month on the 21st of the month. So almost a month since this last message. The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who was left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So we have another message. Uh, they, they've gotten back to the work. They've done a little bit. A little bit has happened in this month. And again, we remember in Ezra that when they laid the foundation, there was people, they called them ancient men, that had been there when the first temple was around, that had seen the first temple. And when they looked at the new foundation that was being laid, when they looked at everything as it was being poured, they said, this is so puny compared to what the temple was before, Solomon's temple. And what we're doing really is amounting to nothing. You know, as much fire and as much desire we had to come back here, um, we haven't done a very good job. And, and they kind of brought the, the spirit of the people down a little bit. We know that the temple had been destroyed about 50 years before then. Now this is 15 more years, so there's people, you know, obviously uh, 65 years has passed since, since this message, since when it was destroyed. So these people were probably at least in their early 70s as they're remembering back. And they're thinking on this same question that was brought up during Ezra's time. The Lord knows the condition of the people. 
And the Lord knows that there's these ancient men that are looking at everything and saying, this is still nothing. We're still not doing anything. We're still not accomplishing anything. This isn't like the old days. So the Lord has this question, and it really it gets right to the heart of these, these people. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? And the real key to this, these series of questions is, is this not in your eyes nothing? You see, in the people's eyes, this was nothing compared to what the temple was. And oftentimes we look at the great uh, works that are going on and, and everywhere else, you know, all these people packing these places out and it's just, you know, wow, look at everything they got going on. In our eyes, that looks great. That looks like what we want. But when you sit under the ministry, you realize, wait a minute, this isn't of God. This isn't really the Lord working. And praise the Lord if it is. We have in this situation here, the Lord bringing out a comparison. What the people saw as nothing, God is going to show them it's something great. And the only thing that matters is that God thinks it's great, not what we think. In our eyes, it may seem as nothing. And so you kind of think, well, what's this encouragement going to be from the Lord? He knows how we feel. He knows our hardships. He knows everything we're going through. And he knows as we look at this, it's, it's discouraging even to go to do the work because it seems like we're, we're mounting to nothing. So knowing all this, we, we kind of think the Lord would come up with this grandiose explanation of why we should get back. And really, he says, be strong and work. That's the message. My, my grandfather used to uh, have a saying, and uh, he wasn't a, a, an intellectual man or anything like that. He was from West Virginia. He was a coal miner and uh, worked in the steel mills later on and became an industrial electrician. And all the time in, in business, times would get tough and, and things would be hard, but it always seemed to work itself out. And he would say, it's not about how smart you are, it's about how tough you are. How much can you take? How much when you don't want to get up and you don't want to go to work and you don't want to do this and you don't want to do that, do you still get up and do it? And I think of that in our Christian life. There are days when I wake up and I really don't feel like being kind to everyone. I really don't feel like showering everyone with blessing. I really don't feel like holding my tongue when certain things happen. But I have to remember it's those days that are the important days. What's my response? It's easy to do things when things are easy. It's easy to do things when everything's going your way. But when things are tough, when you wake up in the morning and you realize this is not going to be an easy day, that's when you've got to work. That's when you have to be strong. So here we have this message, and he, again, he's listing all these people, the civic leader, the religious leader he speaks to as, in a sense, first. They're all included, but he's addressing them specifically. Be strong. And he tells all the people, be strong. And so I tell you today, be strong. I know it's hard. I, I, I know it's tough. And I know there's days when you think, you know, my service for the Lord is amounting to nothing. When was the last time I shared the gospel? When was the last time I did a kind deed in the name of the Lord Jesus? When was the last time I simply got on my knees and thanked the Lord for what he's done for me? for saving me, for dying on the cross for me, for being my only way of salvation. We have nothing else but the Lord.
Simple things. Be strong. So we have here, he reminds them, be strong. All you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is something that that he said would happen. This is going to take place. This is where you're going to dwell. This is going to be the land that I give to you. This is where I'm going to place my name. So we have this reminder, really, of of what God said he would do. And this reminder that he is with them. And so I remind you today, the Lord is with us, and we need not fear. We need to get back to the work. Whenever it's hard, whenever it's tough, just remember, be strong and work. So this is the message. It seems like it would be you know, more to it than that, but it's real simple. Just, just do it. So we have this in verse 6. So he gives this message in verse 6. He kind of shows why is it that in your eyes, in our eyes, it's nothing. Why is it so great in the Lord's eyes? Why do the work? What's it going to profit? So in verse 6, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. We have here the the ultimate meaning of this portion is talking about the millennial kingdom. Um, When the temple will be there, the Lord will be reigning from Jerusalem, the world will be at peace, and all nations will have to come to Jerusalem. Well, there's many facets of what is being said here that is relatable, but I just want to explain that that is really the meaning of what's going on here. We have in this idea that he will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And we have this idea of these people looking at it and seeing, well, you know, Solomon's temple had all this gold. Solomon's temple was a jewel. It's basically like a shining jewel. And ours is, you know, nothing. We don't, we don't have any real gold or silver or anything like that to decorate it, and it looks like it's not enough. And God tells them, the, the gold and the silver are mine. It's not about the gold and the silver. It's about the presence of God being there. We know that even in Solomon's temple, uh, the presence of the Lord had left long before they were taken into captivity, uh, where it was destroyed. And so they have this thing of a beautiful temple, but God's not there. How glorious can it be? In our eyes, it's beautiful. And I think of today, there are beautiful churches. I mean, Kathy and I went to Europe, and we traveled around, and you go from church to church to church, and they are lavishly decorated, and they are beautiful. And you walk in there and you kind of have this sense of, wow, this is, you know, what the Lord wants. And you realize, for most of those places, the Lord isn't even there. How glorious can it be if the Lord's not there? And so I think here the, the, the Spirit of God is reminding this people, I'll show you what I'm going to do with what you built. And I think in our own lives as we relate all this to us, 
what is our ministry? What is our service? What has the Lord called us, asked us to do? And we have to remember, we may have no idea what the Lord will do with what we give to him. There was a, um, a preacher, there's a story I heard, a preacher in, in Scotland, I believe, and uh, he retired one year after they had only had one man saved. And it was, um, it was uh, I think his name was Bobby Mayfair. And he ended up being a missionary that opened doors all over. This one person that thought, you know, this didn't amount to anything, not realizing what this one soul would do for the Lord. And so I think in our own lives, what is it that we get involved in? What is it that we do for the Lord? And we think maybe in our day-to-day life, you know, this is really amounting to nothing. But we actually don't know what the Lord's going to do with it. And so that's why the Lord's encouraging us just to keep going, just to keep going, just do the work. So we have here this message that's given. We're going to, from here, jump to Zechariah. And it's probably just the turn of a page in most of your Bibles. Now, the reason we're jumping to Zechariah is, like I said before, um, we want to go chronologically through this return from captivity. Haggai gives this message that we just read in the 21st day of the seventh month. The next message he gives is on the 24th day of the ninth month. So we have the eighth month where it seems in the book of Haggai that nothing goes on. Well, something does go on, but it's Zechariah that's giving it. And it's gonna, I think it's going to be interesting when we go through this, what is being said here. Uh, given everything we just heard, these people have returned to the work. They've started building. The Lord has said he is with them. They're encouraged. Uh, their spirits have been stirred up. And they are doing what the Lord asked them to do. So this is the message from Zechariah. Verse 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they returned and said, Just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. You might say, well, wait a minute here. I thought they've already gotten back to the work. I thought they've already returned and they've started building. I thought that the Lord was with them. I thought that everything from here on out was okay between them and the Lord. But you see, there was something that was still a problem. They returned to their work, but the hearts hadn't returned to the Lord. They've been chastised, and they realized the error of their ways. And though they returned to get back to work, their hearts had not been made right with God. You see, they still had this issue of over 70 years ago, before they were taken into captivity, the people of the land were guilty of idolatry. 
You see, they were saying that they were worshiping Jehovah, their true God, but everything that they were doing, they had all these idols all over the land, and they were worshiping these idols. And God judged them for it and sent them captive to Babylon. So we have this return from Babylon, and we realize these people do not have a problem worshiping idols. As a matter of fact, they're sticking right to the regiment of what they're supposed to sacrifice and when they're supposed to sacrifice. So idolatry wasn't their problem. The problem was cold hearts. They hadn't really returned to the Lord. Why not? And it says here, because they had not repented. They had not repented for the sins of their fathers, for their own sin, realizing that what the Lord did to them was perfectly just. What the Lord did to them was well-deserved. And what the Lord did to them was spoken of long before he did it. We think of all the prophets that spoke to these people. Prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Joel, uh, Amos, and Hosea. All these men prophesied to these people to turn, return to the Lord. And we see they did not heed nor hear. They didn't do anything. They just kept going the way they were going. And it was this picture of returning to the Lord. I think in our own lives, when the Lord looks at his church, and I'm talking the universal church, the, the body of Christ, there are many sins that the body of Christ is guilty of. There are many sins that, indeed, we have not repented of. And you might say, well, it's not my sin, and it's not my problem. Uh, we didn't do this. We don't believe this. But the fact of the matter remains that it is an issue. And when we see godly men like Daniel, uh, Nehemiah, and Ezra, we look at their prayers, and I think they're all in chapter 9 of the respective books. They all lay that sin of the nation and lump themselves in with it. And we know that none of those men were guilty of what they're confessing. But the nation was guilty. And we as believers, though it may not be us as individuals, we are guilty of some things, and we do need to confess them and repent, return. If you have not trusted Christ, if you have not repented, then I'm afraid you are still lost in sin. I'm afraid you're still on your way to heaven. Though the message has gone out, though the work has been done, though you continue to come and continue to come and continue to come and do the work, perhaps, if you have not repented, your heart is not right with God. The Lord's blood has not been applied to you. We have here a picture of God withholding blessing because the hearts were not right. And I think of those that perhaps come, listen to a message of the word of God, do the work, they go out, they, they try, they try, they try, they try. And you know what? Maybe they actually do it better than we do sometimes. But they haven't returned to the Lord. They've never repented. They've never confessed Christ. They've never trusted him as the only way of salvation. We have a message that has gone out into the world. And the message first is bad news. Guess what? God is one day going to judge every living soul that has ever been on this earth. And every living soul without Christ is guilty. And there's only one place where that goes. Those that are guilty go to hell. 
And you say, wow, that's, <laughs> that's pretty heavy. But you see, there's some good news. God has made a way of salvation. But it's only one way. And you can't do anything to earn it. It's by trusting the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross that his blood satisfies the wrath of God against your sin. I think sometimes we think of sin and we, again, apply it to a whole. But in this case here, we apply it to ourselves as well. We're guilty. Yet, God is gracious. And the blood of Christ, by trusting in him, we can be saved. So we have this message here. In order for the people really to return, they not only have to confess and repent for their sins, but the sins of the nation as well, that everything that, because they might think in their mind, God, this was unfair. This was your land. We are your people. All these things you had us to do, and yet you sent us to Babylon for 70 years. They had to realize at this point in time that what God did was perfectly just, perfectly righteous. And we see that that's the case here. So when we talk about getting back to work, I want to remind you, it's not all about work. The organization I was involved in before I got saved taught us many things to be holy and what to do. Uh, how to fold your hands when you pray, which thumb went over which when you were praying, uh, when to dip your head, how long to dip your head, when to kneel, when to stand up. All these things, it was all works. And I was a disciplined young man, and I was really good at it. And if you looked at me, you would have thought, that is the holiest man in this building. Look at he dips his head, he folds his hands, he kneels when he's supposed to. All these things, the work was fine. There's one problem. I was not saved. I was a sinner on my way to hell. I had no idea who the Lord Jesus Christ was to me and what he'd done for me and that his sacrifice was finished, the only way of salvation. What am I doing all this stuff for? Well, you see, all the things I was doing was in vain. And all the things these people were doing was in vain. Their hearts were not right with the Lord. So we have this word that goes out. Thus says the Lord, turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds, but they did not hear nor heed me. So he warns them, don't be like your fathers. And he asks them, your fathers, where are they? Well, they're dead. And the prophets, do they live forever? No. Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? Yeah, they did. So they returned and said, Just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. This idea here of returning to the Lord, the peace that comes with this here. All the work that they could do would have been fine. All the work would have been what it was, but this is what the Lord really, really wanted. And I remind you today, this is still what the Lord really, really wants. He wants your hearts right with him. That means admitting where we've gone wrong. That means admitting 
what we've done and the punishment we've received is deserved. Thank God that he is gracious. Thank God that he is merciful. That when he does these things, he has mercy on us and shows us grace. So I just wanted to go through chronologically. Really, there's a couple of key points. This is one of them. You think in Haggai, as you read, that everything was peachy. Everything was fine. They had gotten back to the work. And you come and find in the eighth month, there's this call to return to him. And you may think, well, I, th I thought that already happened. So we're going to go back to Haggai. After this message, after this repentance, <clears throat> their hearts were right. And now the Lord has one more message. There was something that still needed fixing. There was something still to do. And you think, wait a minute, they returned to the work, they were busy, they repented of the Lord, their hearts were right, but there was still a manner in how they were to do things that was important to the Lord. And I think this is true in our case. Though we may be convicted, and we think, you know, if I just got back to doing more things, made my life more busy, then the Lord would be more pleased. And so we, we, get, we throw ourselves in. We do all this stuff. We say yes to everything. We're, we're busy, we're busy, we're busy. Every night of the week, twice on Sunday. And you think, you know, this is what the Lord, you know, the Lord is pleased with me now. Well, that's not really what the Lord was after. And you think, well, you know, my heart is right. They, they came back to the Lord. The message goes out. They've repented. And now their heart is right with the Lord. And you think, okay, you know, I'm good from here on out. My heart is right with the Lord. But there's another message that Haggai has for the people from the Lord, and it comes in the next month. So we've had the 6th, the 7th, 8th, or in the ninth month here. <clears throat> On the 20th, oh, I'll say verse 10, sorry, chapter 2 in Haggai. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil or any food, will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Kind of feel like he's, you know, by the temple, there's the altar there, and like he points. What they offer there, like the altars there, there is unclean. Everything, every work of their hands is unclean. <sighs> Wait a minute. I got back to the work. I repented. You said you were with us. All this should be taken care of. Well, you see, there's, there's something more that the Lord wants. The Lord wants to do things his way. He wants us to be holy. It's one thing if we just continue to do wrong and, you know, continue in sin and repent every day and think, you know, that's what the Lord is after. Well, the Lord is after repentance, but a complete turning away and to do things right. You know, when we encourage somebody, sometimes we have to rebuke them. And we rebuke them. The real key is how do we tell them what not to do, making them wanting to do it the right way? That's a real trick. Um, I have not mastered that yet. Um, so pray for all of us as we 
go to, the Lord places someone on our heart, we go to them and we show them from the scripture, we reprove them, we shed light on what the issue is, we rebuke them and say, this is how you're guilty of it, and we kind of fail at that encouraging part, like getting them to do it the right way, to want to do it the right way. So here we have it in Haggai. It says, everything you've offered is unclean, and he gives this picture. If something that is holy touches something that isn't holy, does that thing become holy? And we know holiness is not transferred. Holiness is not something, I'm holy, I touch somebody, they're holy now. Um, that's really not how it works. And, uh, but if somebody is unclean and touches somebody who is clean, they become unclean. So we have this picture, this principle that holiness isn't transferred, but uncleanness is, sin is transferred. Um, we're all sinners because our daddies were sinners, um, because Adam was a sinner. It's transferred. That's why um, the, the saying goes that God does not have any grandchildren. He has sons. There, there's no next. Everyone is born again, born into the family. We're all at the same level. Noah is not a believer or saved in any way because I'm a believer. We have this picture in the world. Somebody that is sick can get somebody else sick. I'm sure the cold and the flu is going around, and if it gets in the house, it's going to get to everybody. Everybody gets sick. You can try to avoid it as much as you can, but you will get sick eventually. But if I'm well, I can't make everybody well. There's nothing I can do. Um, we have this picture here that the Lord is laying out, and they realize that when they first got there and their hearts weren't right, they were doing things just out of what they were supposed to. This is what I thought you wanted, Lord. So I did it. You know, I, I looked at the book, and I realized this offering goes on this day, and when I do this, I bring this, and if I've offended this person, then this is what I do. And they obey all the rules, but not with the right heart. So God's asking that they marry these two things. <laughs> now, do the work with a repentant heart in a holy way that I've laid out. So the, the real key here is not to stop working. And there is no uh, finish to the work for the Lord. Uh, we work until he receives us home. So what we have here is a reminder to us that though these people were not guilty of idolatry, that was a, a sin left in Babylon. What we see these people from here all the way through the end of Malachi, all the way through the end of Nehemiah, this is what they're guilty of. They're guilty of having the form without the right heart, having the form of spirituality but no spirit. And I think in most cases that is what we tend to be guilty of. I can show up at all the meetings. I can offer up prayers in, in, in the public gathering. I can, um, you know, try to do uh, good things, but those are all outward. If my heart's not right, my heart's not doing it the way the Lord has asked us, he's not pleased. So what's the answer here? He asked them to consider again. Verse 15. It says, and now carefully consider from this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs, there were but 10. 
When one came to the wine vat to draw out fifty baths from the press, there were but twenty. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day, I will bless you. So there's this issue. There was all these things that they had a heart to do, and they left God's work out of it. God says, get back to work. They get back to work. God tells them, your heart is not right before me. So they repent, and they turn to the Lord. And then we have this issue of, well, you have the work you're doing for the Lord. You have a right heart before me, but you need to carry that all the way through everything you do. All this work at home, all this work in your, your own life. It's not about just when you come together for this one thing. And so we have here this idea of, he asked them a question again in verse 19, is the seed still in the barn? The answer is no. It's, it's not there. As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. There's no fruit on the trees. There's nothing there. So we can see that they've, they've turned, they've done all these things, but yet, for them, there was nothing. So that might bring discouragement. But the Lord encourages them and says, but from this day, I will bless you. Now, the Lord can work in their lives. Now, they're right where the Lord needs them to be. And I think in our own lives, you know, this is something that takes place from the sixth month to the end of the ninth month the time that takes place really is not that great of a span of time. And it's an encouragement to us. Um, may not happen overnight, uh, but the Lord will be diligent in working on us. And we notice the first thing that the Lord brings up isn't necessarily, you need to make your heart right before me. The Lord calls them to get back to work. If they're believers, get back to work. They get back to work. Make your heart right before me. They repent. And then he says, do these things in the way that I have asked you to do them. And we see that they're obedient. Then we see blessing. Sometimes we just, you know, we feel like if I get back to the work and I do the work, then God will bless me. God will have, find favor with me. Uh, that's how it works in the world. Uh, maybe that's how God works. Well, not the case. These are the things that are necessary for God to work in our lives. And not only in ours, but in our body here. I don't know if you realize, but a sin of somebody in the assembly affects everybody. There's no way around it. We're a body. Unfortunately, if somebody is doing something they're not supposed to, you could be hurting another member here. And so I would encourage you, as the Lord brings things to mind, get back to work, repent, and do what the Lord has asked you to do. And you'll be amazed at what the Lord will work through different people and the blessing that he will bring. I remember when I first got saved. I come to prayer meeting now, 15 to 20 people, maybe. When I first got saved, I came back. 
sat my parents down. I told them everything that happened. And they were not happy at the time. Um, they thought I was um, foolish, um, that I went against everything I believed in before, uh, that I was just doing this for Kathy so that we could get married, and that uh, I had given in, had shown weakness. I said, I did show weakness, <laughs> but in the right way. And I remember coming to the prayer meeting here on Wednesday. The place was packed. It was packed. And it was packed for almost a year. <clears throat> we went to Yosemite again. And I came back. And I thought that the Lord would do the same thing. And there was a lot less people there. And I can remember that was the first time, you figure, in, in, in a year that I was truly discouraged. Something simple. Perhaps everyone had something, you know, really important to do. Had, had work, had whatever, what, you know, whatever it is. Didn't feel well, we're vomiting, everything was going on, the house burning down. Whatever, whatever the reason was, I'm just letting you know, when I first came back that next year, I was, that was the first time I can remember in my Christian life being discouraged. Because no matter what, when the world brought this, when the world brought opposition, when my parents were upset, when all these things happened, I come here at prayer meeting and we were one. And we really prayed together. We had one mind. You know, the little things that the Lord calls us to do. Maybe they're not grand in our eyes. We're not, you know, standing on the platform preaching and there's thousands of people there. We're 30, 40 people gathered in a room praying together. And so I think in all of this, we realize all the people of Israel were there. They all heard the message. And they all repented. They all did what they were supposed to. I think that why this is the most, uh, you know, this period is really precious to me is because it's really a picture of these people had nothing. Nothing. They just come back from captivity. And they, they, the reason that many of these people came back is perhaps because they had nothing there. And they left and they realized, well, at least we'll, we'll get our land and, and we'll be able to build our temple. And we'll be able to do what the Lord asked us to do and, and we'll get back to that high position that the Lord has for us. When they get there, it was hard. But they came together and they were one people. And the Lord blessed them immensely at the time. So we have this promised blessing. So it's like, you know, we've, they've been working, they've been laboring, they've been doing all these things. The Lord has really been showing them something. And now the Lord says, now I will bless you. Well, if we're going to finish real quick, three verses, and it's, 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 we're, we're going to be done with Haggai. Y'all can take a sigh of relief. Uh, we're going to go right into Zechariah, which is going to be visions. And it's going to be good. So, verse 20 of chapter 2. It says, again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth and will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. We have here a picture. Zerubbabel would have been king at this time had the nation uh, not gone into captivity, had all this not happened. Uh, Zerubbabel was of the 
line of David. So he would have been king. Can you imagine? You know, you have this issue where you, you're going to captivity, the sins of your fathers, you're not guilty of these things, and, you know, well, you know, had we not done this, Zerubbabel, you would have had the throne, and you would have been king. Now he's a governor. Um, he's under the, the, the rule of Persia, and he may feel like maybe he kind of got slighted. You know, why couldn't this happen after I got to be king? Kind of a deal. So I believe the Lord here is just encouraging Zerubbabel that all the work he's going to do, that the Lord is going to hold him up. And we see that his name is mentioned in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ as his right to be king. And this is a picture, really, of, of a day when the Lord will judge the earth. And Zerubbabel is going to have a pretty important position. He's going to be this signet ring. He's going to make it special for him. Something the other kings, he doesn't say anything about. But he wanted to encourage Zerubbabel specifically. So it's encouragement to the leaders, the ones that God has placed as shepherds over the flock, to be strong. There is a reward there is something that the Lord is watching out for. And if you do the work unto the Lord, there's great blessing that follows. Uh, so just an encouragement to us. Uh, like I said, we'll, we'll continue on the next time uh, through Zechariah. So if you want to read ahead, uh, go ahead. Go ahead and close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee that You are gracious. Uh, we do thank Thee that You are merciful. Father, that uh, despite of ourselves... Uh, our own works, our own things that we try to do to, to gain favor with Thee, Father, we realize that those works mean nothing without Christ. Father, we pray that our lives would be so filled with the Spirit that indeed Christ would show in everything that we do, for He is the one that saved us and called us out of darkness. Father, He is the one that suffered and died in our place and has given us this everlasting life. We pray that we would serve Him uh, with the true heart, and Father, that we would get back to the work that we would be strong. Father, we just give thee thanks that we have this opportunity uh, to come together to open thy word, and we pray that we would seek to encourage one another and build one another up in these things. We ask all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.